Hello and welcome to the guest podcast. My name is Zainab Kwarentisenga. I'm a gender and women's rights activist and a guest fellow from Malawi. This Today we are talking about uh, the pandemic with regards to violence against women. As you are aware, we are in the midst of a pandemic which is not likely to go in the foreseeable future. At the same time, we are also celebrating the 16 days of activism against uh, gender-based violence. Now, today we are asking the question, where are the feminists? As you are aware, there has been so much um, discussion centering on the impact of the pandemic on women. But today we are questioning us as feminists and to see where we are based on the discussions that we have had. Specifically today we are pointing at advocacy gaps in pandemic response and uh, the potential of such gaps with regards to women's rights um, uh, abuse. Now today with me are two very distinct women who I'm not going to talk about but I'll give them an opportunity to um, introduce themselves. Let me start with you madam. Thank you so much, sign up. My name is Jessie Gondwe and I come from Malawi. I'm a public health practitioner, but also an gender advocacy expert or I would say activist. My work is really related to frontline healthcare delivery and just seeing how the pandemic has lured us out most of the times and giving like a sort of like an analysis and a first-hand experience of what COVID-19 was like when it just came out and how did it play a part in terms of men and women accessing services. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Zainab, for having me. I am Kalevera. I'm a Kenyan queer pan-African feminist. I have experience in the areas of economic justice, uh, anti-sexual harassment, labor rights, and sexuality. But also, I have experience in policy research and advocacy, so I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. Dear listeners, as you can hear, we have very distinct and quite a comprehensive panel today. Now, let me start with Jesse. How do you... Uh, understand the concept of um, pandemic response with regards to women in the health sector? Uh, Zainab, I would say that the pandemic, when you think about COVID-19, it's just like any other health pandemic that have been there in the past. And when we think about these pandemics, most of the times in public health, we think of them as a public health issue and not a social issue. It's not a gender issue. And I think that's the problem because even when COVID-19 came in December 2019, it was considered as a public health issue. And because it was being quantified based on those particular statistical analysis for disease quantification, uh, issues related to the social inequalities that would play a part with COVID-19 were no, never uh, considered as a priority. And that has also been um, sort of like visible when you talk about who is producing knowledge that is guiding us for COVID-19 prevention, COVID-19 response. When you talk about uh, the research that has been published, it's most men who were on the forefront of publishing those particular reports and women were not being seen. So if women are not in those particular spaces in producing knowledge to guide COVID-19 response, then how should women issues be prioritized? That's my question. Wow, that is quite a question. How can women's issues be prioritized when actually the knowledge generation regarding the pandemic is actually putting them out? Now, Calavera, my dearest feminist, I call her my dearest because she is really one fierce feminist. Few people should have <laughs> knowledge of her. Now, Kali, do you think there's a link from the context that Jesse shared to how we as feminists are approaching advocacy issues within the pandemic period? Yes, and I think to begin with, something that I'll say and, and piggybacking off of what Jesse has said is 
though we looked at COVID-19 initially as a health issue, we are definitely realizing it's not a health issue. Yeah. It's a social inequality issue in addition to being as a health issue. And I think feminist advocacy, especially on the continent of Africa, has taken into account this also because the Africa in infrastructure has many loopholes that have been maybe even magnified during the pandemic. And I think from an advocacy perspective, as Jesse is saying, where feminist work was locked out and was not relevant in our response to COVID-19, even feminist advocacy was locked out. It was not in the national discussions. It was not considered when countries are making decisions on isolation, on quarantine, on curfew, on making people stay at home. So in the same way, it was locked out. So feminist advocates on the continent have literally had to fight to get these conversations in the room. They have had to lobby. They have had to write statements because they were not automatically considered. So these things mirror off of each other, not just in epistemology, not just in the knowledge production, but also in terms of policy making. You can definitely see this gap of women being locked out and feminist analysis being locked out of the conversation. Wow, that is really, really... Um something that we really need to bond on. For myself, for instance, I come from Malawi. I think I agree with you, Kali. I have been in conversations that have been discussing the pandemic. We have been talking about, you know, responding, but the response itself has not been something that we really need to be talking about because it has been the kind of response that is actually addressing what has happened today, what is happening tomorrow. It's not necessarily a strategic response that should guide us as feminists in trying to deal with a pandemic that is staying with us for a long time. And I think looking at how uh, you have presented the context, I feel now I should go back to you, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see such things are happening from your own experience and from um, your discussions in the health perspective. Have you seen any kind of agency in terms of women uh, in the health sector trying to react to such uh, gaps that you've been talking about? Because if you're questioning this, probably there has been maybe some sort of, you know, discussions in the health sector, maybe some sort of uh, talk within the, you know, feminist health practitioners. Have Has there been agency in, in terms of trying to see and, you know, like uh, close this, these gaps with regards to women's participation in pandemic response? Yeah, that, that's very true. In several uh, advocacy led by women in global health have pointed out to say, look what's happening. The decisions are being made by men. The research is generated by men, but who is delivering the work? It's uh, the women because 80% of healthcare workers are composed of women. So you can see even like the kind of like, the it's it's about dominance within pa- pandemics. Um, men dominating in, in areas where they feel like they need to exercise power within that particular space. And what that reproduces is the violence against women. So this, in 2019, there was a report that was um, produced by women, women leaders in global health and World Health Organization just to highlight that, look what the pandemic is showing us. It's uh, delivered by women, but it's led by men. Is this something that we need to continue with? And for how long is it going to really look like this? So I think starting from that, there have been several advocacy uh, initiatives from women themselves and trying to make sure that even within the research, the scientific research, there should be more of knowledge production from women to encompass what is it that is happening for women, not only women in the communities, but also women as healthcare workers. What is it that they're experiencing? What kind of variants are they experiencing within that particular space as we fight against this uh, pandemic? 
Oh, wow. That is really nice. I think I'm hearing the sentiments Kali talked about when she said feminists have had to, you know, like demand for this, you know, our presence. Like we are here, you know, remember this is a pandemic. It's not just a health issue. This is a social challenge as well that is affecting communities, you know, globally. And how it is affecting women is obviously different. That has been discussed quite a lot. And you've also talked about the agency in the health sector. She talked about the agency in the feminist aspect. Now, Kali, do you think um, the agency, the demands that we've been making have been making progress? I'm asking because um, the noise that has been generated... I think it was mostly in reaction to early research, which was, okay, how is this impacting women? Now, I'm, I'm more interested in where we are at this point. We have done research, and now we are moving forward. Do you think the noise that has been you know, made by the feminists in demanding for this uh, space has been creating some change? That maybe we can say is you know, moving towards something good. So I'd say yes and no. Uh, to begin with, this is a contextual conversation, so it might vary across countries. So I will proceed to make a few just general comments. And of course, this might differ depending on which borders you lie within. But I think one, there's an overall awareness of the importance of the care economy. Yes. There's an overall awareness of the importance of nurses, the importance of doctors, importance of teachers, importance of delivery staff, people who in certain countries are underpaid and overworked. So I think this is also in large part a result of feminist advocacy. Feminists have been talking about the care economy for the longest time, yes. but I think as a result of the pandemic and having a shortage of these workers and also realizing how important it is that delivery workers exist, now this feminist advocacy has come to enlighten us on these issues and it's now entering mainstream conversations. And also when it comes to specifically violence against women, which is the core agenda of the 16 days of activism, I do believe that in some instances, um, government policymakers are paying attention, at least within my context, I've seen a bit more attention into talking about safe houses, talking about government-run safe houses, because during the pandemic, many women and girls were locked at home with their abusers, of course, men and boys as well, but disproportionately, women and girls were at home with their abusers. So I do believe always with feminist work, you sort of talk about something for 10 years before anyone gives you audience. And I do believe I'd have wanted it to move faster, but certain aspects are being picked. However, I will call into question that uh, Jesse has spoken about power and feminist work is always about dismantling power. Do I think governments and policymakers are really working towards questioning power and how this imbalance of power led to the pandemic? No, I think we are still a far way off from that. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I really agree with you, uh, with your, you know, analysis, because from my own context as a Malawian, I have also seen how the, you know, pandemic has impacted Malawian society in general. I think we had one of the highest records of, you know, teenage pregnancies when the pandemic happened and the lockdown and, and everything. Most young, young girls, I think it was about, is it 44%? of our girls got pregnant because of the pandemic mm -hmm. and the response to that actually was also part of you know like the feminist you know voices that were like okay so look at this this is now a pandemic on its own but we need to respond to it but as you said the kind of response that is given does not have the kind of priority that we have seen the health pandemic being given. It is treated as if it's just, you know, one of those things. I mean, girls get pregnant all the time anyway, so what, you know? 
I mean, there's always, you know, gender-based domestic, domestic violences in the homes. So what? How special is, you know, girls getting pregnant? We are not taking uh, care of, like, the statistics and how alarming they are becoming to see how best we should move forward. So it's, it's really a question of power. How important are gender and women's rights issues, you know, taken in the context? And especially being, you know... Um, a, a, a pandemic period, everyone is co concerned about, do we have enough PPEs? Do we have enough masks? Do we have, you know, enough uh, sanitizers? It's not necessarily about our girls protected. Where are we putting these girls when we, we, we tell them to stay home? How safe are they? And I really love the Kenyan context of, you know, safe houses. Because we are putting these girls in boxes like they are home. And most abusers actually stay home. And how, exactly. do, how, how do you protect a girl child mm -hmm. in a home that they are so confined with mm -hmm. the abuser? Mm -hmm. But when, when it comes to, you know, to policy making and, you know, like uh, budgeting at, at national level, I personally do not see this. I have been privileged to be part of, you know, like a national budget analysis, uh, uh, you know, team. But I can confidently say the figures do not give me confidence mm. in terms of, you know, fighting for women's rights. And it's like a song we sing every day and every year. The campaign is ending. We are still where we, we, we were. So as you said, it's really a question of how, how, how long do you get to, you know, get your voice out there? It can take 10 years before someone can think of, okay, let's balance this. Let's, let's create this space. And I think in addition to that, as much as the pandemic has shown us the importance of care work, the importance of women in the informal economy, the importance of essential workers, I also want to say that at the same time, it has taken us back a few steps, a yes, few years yes. in our feminist mm -hmm. advocacy. Because often when there's national crisis, humanitarian crisis, women's rights are taken to the very bottom of the pile. Mm -hmm. exactly. And it's an upward fight to take them back to the top. Exactly. So it's exposed the need for feminist systems, for feminist care systems, for feminist economies. But at the same time, it's also taken us back. No one was really listening to what women's rights organizations were saying in the face of COVID-19, especially when it started. It's in the months that have followed that people are actually realizing, oh, the shadow pandemic happened. There's inequitable vaccine access. Mm -hmm. Women are carrying an extra burden of care work. So it's sort of like a very mixed bag for yes. the feminist movement. Oh, yeah. True. And I think it just, for me, it completely relates to when we talk about power and how public health on its own is a tool of power. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it's a tool of power that is controlled by men. Uh, because it's a tool of power controlled by men, there's no space that is being provided for women to literally voice out and get their needs or rights uh, being addressed within that particular space. So as we reflect on how COVID-19 is affecting women in terms of like perpetuating violence, um, uh, abuse on the rights and discrimination, we should also be thinking like, are we taking this pandemic as a tool of power yes, yes. In, con in countries and how do we dismantle those powers? And frankly speaking, um, I'm just thinking that it's, it's a, a little bit hard to maneuver through these kind of like structural powers that have been created deliberately to oppress women. Yeah, yes. But in, in the face of we are dealing with a pandemic issue, people are dying. And when you think about the research in the earlier days, it was men who were dying more likely than women. Mm, but yes. was it really like that? Or maybe because men were the ones who were doing the research and because of that, they were capturing more data, more data for men than mm -hmm. women.
Wow. Now, because That's it's cool. equal now, everyone is dying. The young, the, the old, women, men, it's equalized. But when you think about it, was it really like that? So every time when we're dealing with this pandemic, as we go forward, we should be questioning whatever data that is coming out, whatever response that is coming out, and whatever strategies that are being put in place for us to follow. And how does that marginalize women? How does that produce structural violence against women? Oh, wow. That is really deep. Because most of the times, for me, as a gender and women's rights activist, I can put in a health context, but I cannot put it, you know, in terms of, you know, knowledge gaps, like data generation, you know, like who, I, I can easily tell, okay, so there are maybe 80% women who are involved in healthcare, but even where do these women belong in this health spectrum? That is also an issue that we don't really talk about. Now, mm. where women are in the health spectrum speaks a lot about power relations within, you know, a space and how women's voices can get out there. Mm -hmm. Now, in, in a pandemic whose 80% is women, I'm guessing, I'm not, you know, like somebody who can speak on that. I'm guessing like, you know, in communities where you find those at the bottom line of uh, first point of contact with communities are women. Mm -hmm. They're at the highest risk. How well covered are these people? Mm -hmm. I'm also now being taken back to the care issues that Jess, uh, Kali was talking about. You're talking about women who are, you know, like burdened with care in their community. They're the first point of contact. And, you know, in our context, like Malawi and Kenya, for instance, they are also mostly women who are like at the very bottom of, you know, like the income uh, you know, levels. And most of them are involved in, you know, work that is very risky for them. And they're also burdened with care, first point of contact in their families. The risks of these women in a space that has got, you know, cultural, I mean, power structures at every stage is also something that maybe we don't really focus much. Mm -hmm. not, not maybe like in the health sector, for instance. How have you seen this play? Mm -hmm. like with regards to women's you know uh safety and maybe like violence against women because there are also issues maybe that we need to sort of discuss i i strongly feel like within the public health sector there are a lot of gaps in terms of feminist work frankly speaking in in terms of not just feminist work but how do you bring on board women's issues to be priority there's there, there's a lot of gaps and one of those gaps just leads to how the institutions of public health are being designed how knowledge is distributed and how knowledge is generated situated within that particular space yes, because yes. when i was in college i i wasn't taught anything about gender so i don't wow. i didn't know how this thing differs in terms of diseases i treat a community as a community yes i'm a public health practitioner i look at the community as a whole yes. i don't look at the community as a subgroups within those particular communities. And that's a problem. Maybe yes. what we should be thinking about is how do, where are the feminists in public health? Where are the feminists mm. in public health decision-making? Where are the feminists in public health research? Where yeah. are the feminists in public health knowledge generation within public institutions? Yeah. So that should be like our starting point to how do we make sure that these spaces, instead of them being masculinized, maybe they should be feminized. So we can have some sort of like issues of women being prioritized and also just that to understand that this pandemic, yes, it's affecting everyone as a community or as a nation, but there are differences within this. And what, how these differences are, are portrayed, they are related to power dynamics within it. And what power does is to reproduce violence against women or violence against those who are most marginalized within the communities. That is really, really... I think we can wrap the podcast now. Jesse said everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, like now I'm feeling like, okay, so... I think now we can, you know, yeah, we can say we can wrap it up. But now I think we also need to hear the feminist perspective. 
Um, I think from Kali, can you maybe give us like the realistic version of what needs to be done from the advocacy side um, in terms of gendering the pandemic so that it should work for women? We have heard so much discussions around the, the impacts. How best do we move forward from here? Maybe your thoughts? So if I were to center my conversation really looking within the movement to begin with before I go outside the movement, I think we sort of maybe did ourselves a disservice or society did us a disservice. Both may have happened in that when, at least in my context, when women's rights work was being done, when feminist work was being done, it has been seen as something only people within civil society do who work on gender. And I think this sort of concentration made it such that public health officials, Jesse's colleagues will think that's not my issue. Exactly. Bankers will think that's not my issue. Architects will think that's not my issue. When really, I think the point we need to make and the point we are trying to make is that every sector needs a gender lens and gender expertise and feminist expertise to be specific. Yes. And I think that when we have that sort of skill set built into our institutional structures, then we are, when we are getting into rooms to make policies on pandemic response, on contraceptive use, yes. on even the number of beds in a hospital, yes. there's someone there saying, hey, I think we need this and this because women are disproportionately affected by this scourge. So true. I think that's one of the main things that now we begin to see gender expertise as something that is essential to every industry in the way that we think financial expertise is ex essential to every institution. Mm -hmm. That's true. We always elevate financial expertise. We must have an accountant everywhere. So what yes. about having feminist expertise everywhere? That's true. So I think that's something that we need to start working towards. But then outside of the movement, as the movement continues to advocate and lobby around this pandemic and the life that we are building after and the great adaptation that we are undergoing, I think it really just needs constant pressure. And that's how feminist movements work. We do not rest. We, we rest in turns, but the movement does not rest. There's yeah. always someone you're passing the baton to. Yes. And I think continuing to lobby policymakers, but also holding them to account, holding them to account, making use of our networks, making use of the people in power who we feel are open to thoughts and to ideas that encompass their whole population, but also using our democratic right when that is fit to use in terms of holding our leaders accountable. So really the feminist movement is not one movement that's concentrated within a few people. It's supposed to be everyone's movement and it's supposed to be everyone's business. And I think um, African governments can do much more in terms of not only looking at health facilities, but also looking at food supply chains. How does yes. that affect pandemic yes. response? Yes. Uh, looking at urban planning, mm -hmm. how does that affect? Because urban planning has played a role in, yes. in, in COVID-19 and how it's disproportionately affected people. What are sanitation facilities, mm -hmm. you know? And all these are feminist issues. Yes. So it's, it's a very broad conversation. It's not limited to people in CSOs. It's, it's for everyone, private sector, public sector, big organizations, the African Union, you name it. It's yes. everyone's business. Wow. Oh, now I feel like I don't have to say anything because this was, um, I think, 
Carly and Jesse have really spoken to what really matters. Because as we are talking about the 16 days of activism, we are talking about oranging the world. So I like to be a bit poetic or artistic rather. When you talk about oranging the world, I look at paintbrushes in my head and you're looking at the shades of orange. How, how, how orange is our orange? When you're talking <laughs> of oranging the world, how much are we oranging this world? Why am I using this metaphor? It's because I've, I've observed um, when Carly was talking about, you know, mainstreaming you know feminists in every public spe- uh, sector and private sector issue jesse was talking about where are feminists you know in research in public health research where are feminists you know in public health you know practice it's it's bringing me to the conversation that we've always been talking about you know we are always saying oh gender mainstreaming like from our african context there's always the talk about gender mainstreaming in our public sectors in our you know private sectors but how do we understand mainstreaming that's why i'm saying how orange is our paint is our paint and mm-hmm. what kind of paint brushes are we are, are we using i i notice oftentimes we talk about okay so we have maybe 10 women working for us and our workforce has like 25 people how many women are making decisions in that place how many women are making decisions in that place i'm going to say this again how many women are making the decisions in that place because when we're talking about responding to a pandemic like covid 19 we are talking about an issue that is not just about numbers. It's about, you know, meaningful contribution to the society. Because when you talk about ending violence against women, we are not just talking about, you know, domestic violence. We are talking about how structured are our societies in terms of trying to, you know, promote violence against women. Because if our structures are very masculine in terms of like putting women where they don't belong, because women belong in the leadership positions, everybody knows that. That is very basic. Everybody knows. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Yes. We belong in the powerful and, and, and decision-making decision, uh, in position. But if you're not putting women there, how best are you going to deal with a pandemic whose responders are often women? How best is this going to help women? That's why I'm saying, how orange is your orange? What kind of pen brushes are you, are, are you using? Are you using the put women in the positions because they are supposed to be put their kind of brush. Or are you, are you using the, the kind of I trust women because they are smart kind of brush? Because we want that kind of brush. We do not want a pen brush that says, they said you should have like 40, 60, like in Malawian context. We want 40, 60, that makes sense. Because that is how we can make sure that we are oranging the world proper. We are helping the pandemic by putting women where they belong. Zainab for president. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But it really, like, I completely agree with those sentiments. And even as we talk about gender mainstreaming, just as maybe we, we wind up this session, is yeah. it needs to be political. Gender mainstreaming has been depoliticized. Yes. It's become that word people do. It's a tick boxing yes. exercise. It's just, okay, did we gender mainstream? But my argument, and I believe the argument of many feminists, even as they were coming up with gender mainstreaming, is that it should be inbuilt in the structure. We should have gender-responsive policies as opposed to having gender-blind policies, which we then follow to gender mainstream. Mm -hmm. Gender mainstreaming should not be something that we are still doing in 2021. Exactly. Our policies should be gender-just from the get-go. That is so true. Gender justice all the way, everywhere you are. It's not about mainstreaming. Kali has said it all. It's not about mainstreaming. It's about gender justice. This is 2021, people. We are oranging the world proper. Now, Jesse, last thoughts before we can wrap up the podcast. Uh, I totally agree with what both of you are saying. And um, yeah, the question to everyone should be, how orange is your world? 
as we fight against gender-based violence. Wow. Dear listeners, that is the end of our podcast. We hope it has been enlightening because we have enjoyed uh, being here and we hope you're going to uh, have the same sentiments. Now, as you, uh, we wrap up, we only ask each of you to question yourself. How big is your paintbrush in oranging the world against violence on women? How deep is your paint? Is it light? Is it deep? Make sure it is deep because women's rights are deep. Thank you. This has been the Just Podcast. <laughs>